0: If you guys are into shooting the copper bullets, man, I got a great deal for you. We have partnered with Barnes Bullets. They are world famous, known for that Vortex rifle, the deadliest, most accurate hunting loads on the planet. I like this company, guys, because I have a personal connection to these guys. On uh, Down in central Utah, uh, my dad's got this ranch, and uh, on the way to the ranch, you drive past this uh, Barnes Bullets factory and it's it's a really cool building just kind of out in the middle of nowhere so I know them well these all copper bullets provide destructive power double diameter expansion maximum weight retention and devastating energy transfer all with excellent accuracy it's a great choice for western big game game hunters and shooters everywhere so check them out at barsbullets.com and let me know what you guys think I appreciate it you've heard my silencer central ads I'm sure And I don't know if you have reached out and contacted him yet. If you're interested in a silencer, though, man, this is the way to go. Silencer Central from the start to finish, because it's quite the process. If you've never gotten a suppressor for one of your rifles, you've got to go through and do the ATF paperwork and the background checks and all that kind of stuff. But the cool part is, is Silencer Central takes care of it all it's a several month process and so what's cool about it is if you don't want to drop all that money right at the top uh, end of this whole process you just get a hold of them and you can do like a payment plan while they're taking care of all the paperwork on the back end i have the banish 30 uh and this thing is awesome i've never used one of these before so i'm like learning as as i go along but what i what i was getting at is from start to finish silencer central has been some of the most amazing people i've ever worked with through the process they treated me like i was family and i really appreciated it you guys should check them out and you can call them at 866-891-4494 or check it out at silencercentral.com it will be worth your time i promise to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. And it's a combo episode with Ike Eastman. Um, and we are going to, uh, well, let me put it this way: I'm sitting in a trailer here at the Hunt Expo, and I'm sitting with a bunch of legends here. I'm way out of my league, uh, but I'm pretty excited to record this episode. So across from me, I got Ike Eastman of Eastman's Hunting Journals. I've got the uh, the infamous Jim Heffelfinger, uh, <laughs> return guest for the hunting or the Western Huntsman, by the way, and Ed Arnett. Right? Did I say your name right? You did. And we just met me and Ed, and uh, I already really like him. So I'm. Uh, in good company and really happy to have you guys here and record a record a podcast thanks guys
1: what's not to like ed's the uh the president ceo of the wildlife society not the president the ceo of the wildlife society which is the leading professional organization for wildlife biologists like me
2: okay so tell us a little bit about that sure so the wildlife management profession really started with aldo leopold i think everybody generally knows that Uh, He was the first professor of wildlife management at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And he and colleagues started kicking around the idea of, first of all, they wanted a journal to place the science they were just starting to gather. And largely it was field notes and anecdotal observations and and structured studies that were starting to come out. Um, and they didn't have any place to put it necessarily, so they wanted to create a journal. So they created our flagship journal of Journal of Wildlife Management in 1936. It was we were called uh, we we um started at the North American Wildlife and Natural Resources Conference. This is a, a conference that brings together. Jim knows this all too well. Brings together agency heads uh, at Fed and state level, lots of the nonprofit world. And the idea at the time was to bring the this emerging profession of wildlife, the scientists and field people together with the agency leads and such. So they we formed uh, in 1936 as the Society of Wildlife Professionals at the first North American meeting. And then the very next year in St. Louis, at the second, we changed our name to the Wildlife Society. And Leopold was part of all that. He, he had a little opposition at first because Leopold was uh, – part of uh we were all part of the ecological society back then and i believe it was a working group or a subcommittee on game management and there was a little bit of opposition to forming our own society but uh came around and leopold was our third president of the wildlife society so we've been around a long while and uh we have uh chapters across all states multiple provinces we got an emerging chapter in Mexico. We're broken into sections. We've got a section in Canada and then regional sections, think Southeast, Southwest, that kind of thing. And, uh, members are voted into our Mm -hmm. council and our council basically are my bosses. And then we have a president that serves four years, uh, serving vice president, president elect, uh, president, and then immediate past president. So that's a little bit of our governance structure, about 11,000 members right now. Mm -hmm. So Wyoming has Wyoming Wildlife Society. So they're a
3: subchapter. Of, they're a state chapter. State chapter yep. of, of you guys. The way I understand it, it's more of a co op than it is. It's not like you're governing them like some nonprofits. You know, you, I
2: correct. wonder if
1: you're
3: talking about the Wyoming Wildlife Federation? Yes. Okay, that's different. Yep.
1: That is different, yep. Joy And, and your Joy. description is correct. That's it's Wyoming more, Wildlife Federation. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. So interesting right, side. That's no. kind of a confederation of kind of independent yeah um group yeah. but this is different these are state
2: okay. chapters of but an interesting society. note a little more national-
0: integrated nationally right like, right i was yep. on the yep. idaho wildlife uh federation board and uh Totally independent of like the Montana Wildlife Federation, you know, know, Mm -hmm. so. But
2: they're a little similar in that there's a National Wildlife Federation, headquarters, international, whatever you want to call it. And these are, these are, um, independent entities that fall under the umbrella of the Wildlife Federation. Same thing with TWS. So our state chapters, it's a big umbrella, but they are independent entities, Uh, Interesting story. The Wildlife Federation was formed at exactly the same meeting at the same time as the Wildlife Society. It's just it was decided that they would take on more policy and public education from the Wildlife Federation perspective. Hmm. Think public outreach and Ranger Rick. Right. And uh, Wildlife Society was more the science and management arm of this emerging profession. Hmm. (laughs) That's interesting. Interesting. It's really. Yeah. Well, so and you're also a professor. I have an adjunct appointment, uh, as does my colleague, uh, Jim, at uh, Colorado State University. Good for you.
1: Mine's at University of Arizona in Tucson.
2: Yeah. Keeps my feet in the academic world and try to keep them a little honest. Melding, Melding the young minds. There's a lot of value in having
1: people like like Ed and I have been out in the field for a long time, have run public meetings, have wrote management plans, have done surveys to be interacting with students at that level as they're learning, as their sponges are becoming they're learning what they need to know to be wildlife biologists. And and if they don't have access to people like us that have all that experience, you know, they could conceivably just graduate without some really interesting hands on and, and important hands on information.
2: And yeah. they will be the wildlife leaders of the future. And so yep. it's very important that we have a mix of, obviously, of students, early career professionals, but also the professionals that have been around a while and know the history and and know how the system works.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can't think of anybody better to be influencing those younger minds than you guys, because, uh, you know, you, we, we look to the future and there's a lot of concerns. But before we go down some of that path, Jim, uh, for the maybe a few people that live on, on Mars that don't know who you are. Um, maybe we should do a quick overview. Um, Mr. Servant Your himself. exaggerations
1: are profound. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah, I'm known so, for. Jim. Right. So <laughs> just a little background. i I've, I've been with Arizona game and fish for 32 years now, 23 years as a regional biologist, Uh, Doing organizing helicopter surveys, doing hunt recommendations, more of the game management kind of side of it. And then the last eight years, uh, I moved to a wildlife science coordinator position. So it's kind of a science advisor for the agency to make sure that the decisions we make and the policies we create have a good, solid scientific foundation. Like take a deep dive into the science and make sure that we understand the the latest and best available science on things. So that's what I do for the agency now. I also, in one of my roles here at the Expo, is uh, I chair... Uh, mule deer working group for the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. And that working group then is is the mule deer or blacktail deer expert for 24 Western states or Canadian provinces and territories. 24 members that get together and represent Western North America mule deer. And every year we, we have a meeting on Wednesday, right before this expo starts on Thursday. We have an all day meeting on Wednesday and we have a big agenda and we go through all kinds of things that are affecting mule deer and blacktail deer populations and, and kind of come up with solutions and things that we can do to improve management or just improve communication about what's going on
3: out there communication well, so that's a big one and i want to t- touch on that at some point in this podcast is about communicating um, and disseminating the information that you guys not only the decisions but how you guys came up with the decisions and giving that to the public in the best form and the best way to do it. Yeah, because unfortunately, I'm an idiot. I'm the dumbest person at this table, guaranteed. No, I promise you. And you, you guys not. talk over my head most of the time. <laughs> know, and so, so it's happened to me. It's happened to audiences too, where right. you know, the you guys write and you're you're communicating at a, at a level that that needs distilled down uh, mm-hmm. so yeah. that the consumer understands what we did with Mule Deer and why. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Mean, yeah. you bring right. up Mule Deer, but yeah. Yeah, well, and
0: interestingly, you know. With, with with what you're saying ike and and also uh, by the way you're not the dumbest guy in the <laughs> room i promise um we, we're like representing the entirety of the west right here in this little room we've got we've got jim He he's arizona we've got colorado to my right you're in wyoming i'm up in north idaho northwest montana area you know and it's all mule deer country in very different ways and di- very different landscapes and and um I grew up here in Utah and I know the mule deer here very well and, and uh so it's it's just uh I just wanna like kinda point that out. It's mm-hmm. uh there's such a vast did difference just, in the western landscape, but they're all it's all mule deer country. Did
3: we just become part of the mule deer consortium i don't know yeah, it, sounds a little like little like it. it sounds like it <laughs> they invited me once to that thing i completely botched the whole deal electronically and never got invited back really <laughs> <laughs> told a horrible joke because yep. i got nervous it was fun good yeah, yeah yeah it's a good joke yeah just it was
2: good. I thought it was. Because I was in the, the room there. The
3: execution was bad.
1: Is that what it was? It was a good joke. I'm just glad yeah. you don't remember it. Yeah. yeah right. Well, when you're, um, you want me to tell you again? Yeah. No. It's all right.
3: <laughs>
1: no. When you talk about communication, you're right because we want the public to advocate for for wildlife and for habitat, but they've got to be informed. I mean, that advocacy has to be an informed advocacy, and, and and that's that's our role and that's our job as wildlife agencies and biologists to make sure people that are interested which is should be everybody has ha, really has the knowledge and we're just pumping out that information
0: do you feel like that there is there's a and and this question goes to you too ed where like there's kind of this disconnect that the general public has especially hunters you know I, I i guess what i'm asking sometimes i worry that people focus on the wrong things and and we we get so uptight on like you know i'll give you great like Facebook over who's using a 6.5 Creed over a 300 Mag mm-hmm. or something and and we're missing the overall the more important things that people need to be focused on and, and concentrating on and does that do you think that some of that comes from a lack of communication from what the biologists the information the uh, the biologists are bringing to the table it's getting presented to commissions versus what the public knows uh, and and how how we're missing that connection for people to understand what actually is important when it comes to mule deer con- conservation that was a complicated yeah. question but it- yeah no it was a really
2: good one though
1: because there could be the, like landscape landscape issues that are negatively affecting mule deer um whether it's some kind of development or whether it's the drought or whether it's overgrazing, or whether it's pina juniper encroachment um, or lack of fire in our forest and all that stuff is just big picture stuff it's really important and it needs to be worked on if we're going to improve mule deer herds but people might be spending all of their energy talking about how some agency's draw system is stupid and the bonus points need to be changed to something and so there's all this energy focused on something like that and and the reason for that is because that sort of thing affects them personally, directly right there, right. whereas pinyon juniper encroachment doesn't really affect them so, yeah, so they're closely.
3: Not, they're not seeing it every day. Yeah. That's so, right. so
1: that's the challenge is to to highlight the big picture issues that people should be focusing on and, and maybe hopefully steer them away from wasting so much energy on things that don't really matter.
2: Well, so, I was going to insert it was, it's an issue of scale and source and mm-hmm. you brought up the landscapes. The bigger the scale, the more complex things get. Mm. And ecology and wildlife biology and, all, and conservation is inherently complex, but it can't be complicated. And that's the crux, and that's largely what they don't teach us in college. Uh, Jim and I participated in some workshops trying to train people how to take very complicated information and make it uncomplicated so it resonates with people. And I learned this in the policy space. If you start talking about CWD and how important that is for deer and go down the biology path or the epidemiology path, you're going to lose a senator or their staffer real quick. When you start putting economic numbers to what, what it means for mule deer hunting and what it means from an ecosystem perspective to lose a key species like that, Uh, you know, just as it relates to the public and their perception of wildlife, all that stuff, you relate it to voters and and economics, and that's not comfortable for a lot of scientists. It's just not, not but it's what you have to do Mm -hmm. to really resonate with the public. And I think that I always say, we got, and I said it just the other yesterday, I said, it's, this has to resonate with soccer moms in, or soccer dads in Chicago, Mm -hmm. Philly. If they don't care about mule deer or sagebrush habitat. Uh, if we don't give them a reason to care, they're not going to.
3: Yeah, and I, it, I was, I was looking a at great a point. I was looking at a in a graph, and I can't remember the numbers, so I'm gonna make this up. But the point is, I was looking at a graph that there's, for instance, in Colorado, you guys are having a mountain lion uh trophy argument. Can we hunt them? Can we not hunt them? And it's like 20% of the people want to hunt them, 20% of the people don't want to hunt them, and there's this 60% in the middle that don't really know because they're. You know, focused right. on soccer, focused on whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're the ones that are making that decision because they're going to the ballot box and yeah. they're voting yay or nay on ballot initiative, whatever. Those are the people that we need to communicate with. And those mm-hmm. are the people that, right. that your audience, Jim, my audience needs to be talking to, you know, the sister in law, the brother in law, the people that aren't, that are those people that are in that 60%. Yeah. And we, we need to be telling, you know, taking that information that you guys do at the working groups distilling it down and disseminating that so that our audience can ha- be uh, I don't want to call weaponized but you know you can have that in your back to utilized yeah. well, it in sure our, is. to
0: our benefit yeah. and I think that yeah. that's the challenge is wh- like you guys both make good points from a sense that people are distracted with mortgages and minivans and soccer mm-hmm. moms and you know all these things right. in our lives that when you start talking about like the from a biology standpoint, and I'm not even going to try because I'll, I'll, I'll make myself sound I'm dumb. But how do we simplify it so the general public can grasp the concept without their eyes glazing o- over and they get they get distracted? You know, we 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 watch social media on the, on these ten second reels, and everybody has such short mm-hmm. attention spans. And and it's this. I don't care if it's about wildlife management, conservation, or if it's about wolf management in Colorado. Uh, or if it's about you know PETA making a, a a real emotional video and and people trying to counter that discussion or talking point because it's so much more challenging from our end to communicate why they're wrong or why wildlife management is should be such a high priority so yeah. how do we make it you know for lack of a better term more sexy so right. the general public can Grasp the um the the importance of it, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. Science isn't sexy. That's that's the problem. Is emotions right. are very sexy and eye grabbing, and 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 they get your own emotions, and and then you counter with science, and it is boring. Yeah. And so that's the challenge. The, the Mueller Working Group with Mueller issues. Mueller Working Group has been really successful in taking the science that is out there. And boiling it down to being easily digested, easily understood by the public. We now have a series of 45 fact sheets. And those are, we said at the beginning, those are one sheet of paper, front and back, with a couple pictures, so it's not solid text. And no citations, no jargon, no scientific terms at all. Just plain language. And so we have a fact sheet on winter feeding and whether you know, whether that's appropriate and when it's appropriate, a mule deer the predator uh, prey relationships. We've got one on hybrids. We have one on elk and mule deer interaction. We have 45 of these things and they're all without a citation and hopefully without a big word because they're just simple and easy to understand. So it can be done, but it's harder to write in simple terms, harder to write complex things in simple terms than it is to write, with big words because as as a scientist as biologists we can write really easy using all these big words and we all know what it means and then nobody else besides a biologist can read it it's harder it's harder yeah. to, to be understood yeah.
0: and i think that that's why we get like um cut off at the pass with this the wolf thing in Co- colorado is a great example and i'd love to get your take on this you know you've got you've got these folks that live in downtown denver making decisions on wolves being reintroduced into the landscape where they have no impact on on the people that are voting for this life their their lives right Mm -hmm. they there is no um direct impact to their life when they they never leave the city limits of denver right they're not ranchers they're not Mm -hmm. hunters they're not heck most of them don't even go out into the they, they think they think their idea of nature is going to the city park and seeing yeah. a robin or a squirrel or something, yeah. you know. And yeah. so, what is your take on that, Ed? The the, the what what happened? I mean, I would be remiss with my audience and probably yours too. Like if I don't ask you about sure. the wolf issue in Colorado
3: before before well, we go there, though, I did not know, Jim. I did not know there was forty five of those sheets. Forty five, yeah. Can you are they online? They are
1: all online. I think we're waiting for a few to be laid out. There's probably 40 online as PDFs. Yep. And that's, that's, um, the website, it's a pass-through website. It goes to the WAFWA, the Western Association website, but it's Mule Deer Working Group, all one word, MuleDeerWorkingGroup.com. Did, and yeah, if you that, go there, you'll see a link for fact sheets and, and there'll be yeah. about 40 and we're waiting to get the other five or so laid out and put up them.
3: That is amazing information if we should put yeah. that in the show notes of the
2: 100%, yeah, yeah, for 100% sure need uh, to be in a link, yeah, okay. no it's it's a good source of information. They're very well done, and i I was gonna say, um a little bit of what happened in Colorado or any of these controversial situations comes down to who owns the narrative
0: That's and right and
2: who owns the narrative? yeah, exactly. from the communication perspective, and you know i um I'm not ashamed to tell people how I voted. I voted no, but it may not be for reasons you might think. I voted no, not because I don't necessarily want wolves in the state of Colorado. I don't like the way it came about. I don't like ballot box biology, and I don't like state legislatures messing around with our professional wildlife biologists. And I think the public has to have input, and we have multiple ways for public to have input. And if the agencies and and such aren't listening, then okay, that's a different issue, but we need our professionals managing wildlife populations. And the other thing I really quickly want to say, back to the getting the narrative out, a lot of this comes down to individuals versus populations. I think we'll get into that a little bit. That gets complicated to explain, but when you really break things down, it's about saving individuals versus populations. Most populations of animals that people care about are in reasonably good shape, and they most assuredly are being managed under the rule of law and under under professional management of state agencies in cooperation with others. And that's a message that's challenging to get out there, right. but it's critical.
1: The, the way um, Shane Mahoney... Put it one time when I heard him speak, is that there's this rising general empathy among society. They're more empathetic. They're more worried about individuals. They're more worried about saving some individual that's wounded. And and that rising empathy in general society is in, on a collision course for us who are managing yep. ecosystems and populations. And populations are healthy at the expense of the individuals. Individuals have to die all the time for populations to not be overpopulated and right. hurt the ecosystem. So populations thrive because animals die. And yet right at odds with that is this rising empathy of people not wanting individuals to die. This is like on a collision course that we have to deal with in, in conservation and in society. That's right.
3: When you say individuals, well, are you talking about – An individual of a species, or are Mm. you talking about an individual
2: species? Individual of a species. Okay. If you look at the Wildlife Society, we have position statements and issue statements on all kinds of things. And one of them has to do with animal rights philosophies, another on uh, sustainable use and, and human use of wildlife. But we've emphasized populations, maintaining healthy populations. We remove the discussion away from individuals. Because when you're focusing mm-hmm. on individuals, now you're down into the animal rights philosophy of saving every individual, and it's just not possible. I mean, we're yeah. organic organisms; mm-hmm. we're all gonna die. Yeah, There's just way no, the no way to profession. get around it. Conservation profession
1: has been populations is a focus, right? But we've got we've got the public more and more worried
2: about individuals, the individuals, yeah, and, and that's and the kinda, shift of the narrative.
0: That I and I couldn't agree with. How you put that more because that and and talking about that narrative topic Ed, and uh, and the way that the narrative has been portrayed as if hunters are kind of put into this pot of we're all, uh you know, smoke a pack a day and and uh, mm. shoot, shovel and shut up and all that kind of stuff that that narrative that we created that negative connotation that hunters have now some people and, and, have yeah. and everybody c- confuses that like i if i lived in colorado i would have voted no as well however it's not because i'm a shoot shovel shut up guy it's because th- th- well there's a lot of reasons but but the point is is because i am for management of wolves and management of of any predator species whether it's grizzly bear uh, wolves, mountain lion, um, and, and management through hunting because that's where I've seen it work. I, I've seen it in, in the state of Idaho, the most prolific wolf population in the lower 48 has one of the most aggressive wolf management programs out there and yet we are still Having problems with wolves. And so these folks that think that because we want wolf management means that we want every single wolf to die. And when they show these emotional videos of this wolf getting blown away by some so-called quote unquote hillbilly out there, you know, just wanting to kill everything. That's the narrative they run with. And that's where the general public accepts as a narrative and that's what's so hard for us to counter
2: it's pretty hard to counter yeah mm-hmm. yeah so and you gotta have the right messengers and yep all of yep. that and i think you know back to uh, just the quick question of what do i think um you know you mentioned it and i'll just add on uh, you know folks that voted yes largely will never see one they'll and they'll never pay much for it there's no wolf tax right now you can buy there's no consequence there's there's no consequence and they're not going to pay for it either and i think that's Mm -hmm. that's a large argument that's circling right now about who pays for conservation and the sporting community pays a large chunk a significantly large chunk in some states but don't pay all of it but Mm -hmm. that's another part of the issue is who's paying and you know i think uh as, as the voting public starts appreciating the fact that Mm. we need, we, we, there's never going to be enough conservation dollars, but if they're not paying in, then I think it's, it's, it's a critical piece of the messaging that has to be woven into how, how we're going to manage these critters and they're managed scientifically. The state of Colorado has a good wolf plan. Um, and they're going to, they're going to pay damage. At least that's the, the idea. Uh, But they have to be managed because they will populate, they will uh, reproduce, they'll they'll have...
1: Yeah.
0: I've been talking about Hoffman Boots for a very long time. You guys know that I'm a huge fan of this company. And it's not just the great products that they make. It's the story behind the company and the people that run it. This generational family of shoemakers right here in North Idaho makes some of the best hunting boots and pack boots and lineman boots and all your boot needs right in one place at HoffmanBoots.com. For us hunters, I highly recommend the Explorer. And I don't care if you're running in the 6-inch or the 8-inch or the 10-inch. Personally, I, I love my 8-inch Explorers. They've got the Vibram sole. They are totally waterproof. There's no break-in period. Guys, you can't go wrong with Hoffman Boots because you get all that without breaking the bank. So check them out at HoffmanBoots.com and use promo code All caps lock Huntsman10 at checkout for 10% off and find out why I have been wearing my Hoffman boots for years and years. Don't be one of those people that have it in their mind that Savage Arms is the same firearms that your grandpa was running around with 40 years ago. It's not. Big game hunting rifles that you can count on. I love my Savage Firearms. I have got... The Savage 110 Hunter, uh, and my daughter is uh, pretty happy with this 110, 110 Apex Hunter XP. Um, the AccuTrigger is a really interesting little piece to this firearm, and it's a new piece of technology that uh, if you've never tried one, you should, because it'll make you more accurate. It's, it's a much easier, higher quality firearm than anything else I've got out there, and I've, I've got a lot of firearms, guys, and so. If you're in the market for a new hunting rifle, make sure you visit SavageArms.com because I promise you you're going to find something that is accurate, easy to handle, easy to use, long-range, functional, just a high-quality weapon that you could take to the field and have a lot of confidence that when the time comes, you've got that Savage backing you up and you're going to be notching a tag. Check it out. SavageArms.com. Let them know the Western Huntsman sent you. Thanks, guys.
1: I would have voted no because I spent the last dozen years of my career working really hard through the Arizona Game and Fish Department to restore Mexican wolves in Mexico and the Southwest in Arizona and, and New Mexico. We're trying really hard to get those animals up and recovered and get them off the endangered species list and have them managed by the state agency, just like foxes and bobcats and mountain lions are, which is the way it should be. But that is jeopardized by bringing big, large wolves that came, they have Canadian genomes, Canadian genes were brought into Yellowstone, brought into that, that, um, which then filtered into Washington and Oregon. It was those wolves with Canadian genes that are now brought and released right at the doorstep of our Mexican wolf recovery area. And so there's a lot of concerns and there has been for the last three years or so of all the agencies working really hard together to figure out how are we going to keep those two types of wolves apart because a larger, even a single large wolf, from Colorado coming down into Arizona and New Mexico, which is an easy walkabout for, yeah. for wolves. Yeah. But well, even them, one wolf pre- is going to dominate a breeding position right away. Those pups are going to be larger. Those pups are going to disperse, dominate breeding positions. And you have what geneticists call a genomic sweep, where you have these Canadian genes sweep like a wildfire through the population of Mexican wolves. And now you don't have Mexican wolves anymore. You've got some hybrid wolves that are not adapted to that arid Southwest. Mexican wolves are about 65% of the size of the northern wolves they're smaller and and they evolved in that desert kind of arid not in the desert but in the highlands of a very arid southwest so now having these canadian genes sweep through mexican wolves could spell disaster for mexican wolf recovery that we're working so hard on so ironically a whole bunch of people that love wolves in colorado may have just voted for the destruction of the mexican wolf recovery
3: now so let me ask you this there's always been a rumor that i've heard that Colorado was like a buffer zone between the gray wolf and the Mexican wolf, and they didn't really actually have wolves. you know mm. those wolves would would travel in and out, but it wasn't they didn't have home you know home packs is that true no uh uh-uh. there's a lot of wolves
1: in colorado there there's um They've one been person coming
3: and going for a while, yeah, one person wrote a book from
1: one from Arizona.
2: Wyoming. Yeah
1: well just all of those rocky mountains all the way down through colorado was all just you know all these big northern wolves and they were a little bit smaller in this in the mid part of the states like utah colorado it was a natural body size climb from big wolves in canada to very small wolves in mexico now we wiped out all the wolves in the united states in between those two ends and so now we're recovering these small wolves down in mexico and we retained the big canadian wolves they never disappeared and now through stepping through the pacific north or not pacific northwest but the northern Rockies, northern Rockies, we've got yeah. now Cana- those big Canadian wolves from the northern end now at the doorstep of the Mexican wolves at the southern end. So it's not a natural intergradation of body size like it was historically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Colorado was full of wolves, and okay. then they were they were extirpated. Yeah. But still, the Mexican wolves were in Mexico, in the Sierra Madre, in the, what we call the Sky Island Mountains in southern Arizona and southern New Mexico. And then there was a gap. There was a, there was a division there with the smaller Mexican wolves, interchanged only a little bit with those larger northern wolves if if they if they interchange freely they wouldn't be different they wouldn't be genetically different physically different they had to be isolated
3: yeah that's how they're different yeah, yeah. so they so obviously that middle range those wolves that were in wyoming northern colorado we, you know we actually and there isn't any there's no way to get that back without right crossing the canadian with the mexican which is Mm kind of what happened Uh is happening but it's happening over a long time yeah we're we're talking century
1: yeah now that now that we've wiped out those wolves in the middle there will eventually be interchange between mexican wolves and because they're in colorado now right but what we want to do is is not let that happen until we get mexican wolves recovered because they're so that they, they're yeah, listed separately on the endangered themselves. species list, they're a separately yeah. listed entity, and yeah. so we want to recover those first, delist them. Eventually, they'll probably mix, but the the immediate concern is to protect the Mexican right. wolf until it's recovered.
2: Now it's not really the time.
0: Yeah, it's too early to start mixing yeah. that up. So when when we're talking about all these complicated things like you know wolf management, uh, Mexican wolves versus Canadian gray wolves, and um, yeah, who. What is a timber wolf? Why I, I keep hearing yeah. a timber wolf. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good
1: question. It's just I, that I, I sound, in the I'm sure in the I Midwest. Angry, those wolves in the Midwest just kind of gained that nickname or that moniker, the timber wolf. And then you have a basketball team, right? The Timberwolves. I yeah, think. yeah. <laughs> and and so that's just kind of a regional name. It's not really a true taxonomic um, category. You won't see that in a, any kind of it's a common name. Is- scientific yeah it's, yeah, just, it's a okay.
0: problem with common names so it's not a... cuz i've i had mm-hmm. somebody tell me well they they reintroduced the wrong wolves into Idaho and, and Montana yep. they used to be the timber wolf and and yeah no I, and that's I, I not
1: true timber wolf is kind of a midwestern thing okay. but also that whole story yeah. about they, they introduced a the wrong wolf into Yellowstone they introduced a giant Canadian wolf there really isn't any scientific support for that Those that, wolves that were in Yellowstone are not that much different from those in southern Al- Al- Alberta and things see and that I've was blown said out that, of and
0: I've said that on my podcast you don't know how many nasty emails I got about how wrong I was about saying that yeah but, and i and, and that's what i that's what I think I mean a lot of the times when as hunters and as a community, we focus on the wrong thing. Who cares what breed it is? What we need to care about is how we as, as a community market ourselves as, as conservationists, whilst at the same time wanting to promote trapping and hunting, because we know what uh, the the kind of conservation that comes out of that, Uh, you know, conservation Mm -hmm. through hunting and trapping and, and predator management and those kind of things. So, on that, were you going to ask something there, Ike? Or did I cut you off there?
3: Keep going. it'll It'll be at the end of this. Okay, I know where you're headed?
0: Okay, well, I, I was going to kind of shift gears there. So if you got so one of the interesting you you were talking about
3: the narrative that uh-huh. that we uh hunting you know conservation through hunting and trapping. One of the problems that I see, and in, in this actually happened with one of my guys last night. He was sitting uh, at an establishment, and it was closing down, and these two guys walk up to him. I don't know if you guys heard this story. Mm-mm. Brandon, Senator. These two guys walk up, and they ask what they're doing and all this stuff. And he gets in this um, conversation with these two guys that I think are just skiing. And they're from back east somewhere. They were just skiing. And one of the guys is really interested in the North American model of wildlife conservation and had no idea any of this happened. The other guy flat calls Brandon a liar, which... A liar. Brandon stands up. Brandon (laughs) stands up and says, my uh, 21-year-old self would be beating you (laughs) bloody. (laughs) I'm 47. I'm going to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) At least. If you ask him about it, he'll get all bent again. But... The problem is, and I told Brand, I said, the problem is the narrative, it doesn't make a lot of logical sense. If you're trying to conserve something, mm. why would you want to hunt it? And I said, you didn't bring up the key. Of course, he was seeing red. He couldn't. There's a difference between conservation and preservation. Those that's They're right. Different. And a lot of people think we have to preserve it to conserve it. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For
1: sustainable s- use of wildlife has been the foundation for the most successful system of wildlife conservation in the world. No other continent, other continents have other systems and they're successful in places, but none of them are successful yeah. as much as this, the system of public lands that we have, the system where money comes in from the sustainable scientifically guided sustainable use of a few individuals out of the population of a few species a very minority of species are hunted and from that we have law enforcement we have research we have habitat acquisition improvement of habitat we have all of this stuff that drives our conservation comes from the sustainable use of wildlife so if someone wants to talk about we need to stop harvesting wildlife it just the you know we need to sit them down and talk with them some more because it's it's ridiculous.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a lot it, of things that cascade from that, and I think you know the North American model is an interesting topic because there's a lot of misconception around it and a lot of mis misuse and misinformation. And you know it's it's a history lesson as much as anything. Valerius guys who came from Ukraine pulled this pulled this I- these ideas together about what was unique. To North America, now I want to say this again: unique to Canada and in part- U.S. in particular, mm-hmm. that you don't see this in other places. So, for example, conservation on private lands—nope, that's germane worldwide. That's not unique to America. But the seven tenets, um, as they're called, are principles. They're just that—they're principles of the foundation of what we put together in this country. What are those seven? Oh, God. You <laughs> would do that. <laughs> put him on the spot. Just, you know, I just, Wildlife is a public trust resource. Yeah. Science yeah. is, the, you know, There's science actually, is the What Hunting is that? Democracy by Hunt. What is that
0: group democracy? in Colorado that is dealing with this uh, predator management issue right now? Colorado, I, I, I can't remember the name of it, and it's driving.
1: I know. They're doing it, good work, and I've heard them on doing, podcasts, but I can't come up with the name of Yeah, off, I, that. I can't remember I the name. It's Colorado something.
0: Service, it it was just on one of my yeah. recent episodes, so I put it in the show notes, but. We homeschool our kids, and I just took them through their video series on the seven uh, principles of the North American model of wildlife yeah. conservation. Oh, good. And, and it's, it's good because we were talking about how to simplify complicated things. Yeah. Those videos do a good job at simplifying mm. what the model is they and do. how those principles break down and why. Yep. Not, and, and I mean, the videos are like 30 seconds a piece. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's awesome. actually. My eyes didn't glaze over, and I've got a I've got ADD like you wouldn't believe. So that,
2: that's on YouTube, isn't it?
0: Yeah, the videos are on I'm YouTube. I'm gonna GTS that Mahoney uh, does a really
2: good video through the Boone yeah. and Crockett Club. Uh, they had a show Boone and Crockett Country. He does a really nice video. I use it in my policy class at Colorado State, yep. but I think. I think we hang up a little too much on it sometimes, and yeah, the, you're right. The, the people that wrote about it, the hilarious guys, Shane Mahoney, John mm. Organ, they're even saying, forget about changing the model and doing all mm. these crazy. Uh, let's yeah. just let's get a wildlife conservation policy and an agenda, and get mm. and make it a big tent and get everybody involved. Mm. I mentioned earlier, you know, pay, who pays for it. Uh, everybody needs to pay for conservation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Missouri got it right when they added a very tiny, itsy-bitsy little tax. So everybody really does pay in that state, but that's not the case yeah. everywhere. And some it, states are 100% dependent yeah. on PR dollars and sportsman license dollars and such. And the, no. national
1: TW, the National Wildlife Society meeting, um, Ed helped organize a whole bunch of um, different symposium, And one, we talked about the North American model, and Shane Mahoney gave a, a really good... Overview of where we're at and, and the idea that the North American model isn't some strategic plan that someone wrote That's out right. and said, This is how we're going to implement conservation. Yeah. It was a description by Valerius Geis of, of like Ed says, what are the unique things that, that we do in, in North America? And so people sometimes hold up the North American model and they say, Well, this isn't consistent with the North American model or that isn't. It wasn't meant to be all encompassing. That's um, right. And so as we, as we go in the future, Shane said the North American model doesn't need to be discarded and replaced with something more modern. It needs to serve as our foundation to build exactly. upon that success. It's, it's a
0: black and white system that that is allowed for some gray area, right? Yep. So, yep. So, so yeah. Some flexibility
2: because... Well, in the world, changes. Everything I mean, changes. So look at where we're at in
0: Salt Lake. You know, this this uh, used to be mule deer winter grounds, you know, and now it's developed from one end to the other. And, and you know, I grew up here. It was not like this back in the 80s. And and like I fly in now, I don't even recognize this place. Yeah. So that I'm using that as an example as as you know yep. things ebb and flow and things change on the landscape and 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 and, and so that gray area is good. Can, can I can I derail us for just a minute when we come back to this? Because you guys keep talking about Dr. Geis there. Sure
2: show. He
0: told me <laughs> I I'm curious what you guys what your opinion is on this. He told me, and I've I've been talking about this for for a while. So in in mule deer management, when you are talking about mule deer that live like in areas where I live, where there's whitetail as well, generally speaking, the mule deer are up high, the whitetail are down low, but the whitetail will come in and uh, outbreed, if you will, with the mule deer, okay? Mm. But he said that the way to prevent that is to shoot the small mule deer bucks because the big mule deer bucks will kick the little whitetail's ass, right? Okay. Yeah, and I'm right. I'm rednecking this up yeah. he, No, I know I know the theory. Elegant. I know what you're okay. talking about. 21-year-old Brandon versus <laughs> with... <laughs> Yep, yep. That's that's what you're dealing with. I I'm in my 40s, but I still talk like I'm in my 20s and I have just <laughs> I've accepted it, gents. But um so so essentially I I presented this on uh one of my podcasts. We were we we're talking about mule deer hunting. And somebody was asking about, you know, maybe we shouldn't shoot the mule deer in this particular area. It was yep. a sensitive area in Idaho or whatever. The whitetails seemed to be taken over, which does seem to be happening. But anyways, is there anything to that theory, in your opinion?
1: I, I would say it's just a theory. And Valerius Geis was a good friend of mine. And mm-hmm. so we talked about a lot of things. And he started writing in the late 60s, 70s. He, he wrote about some, he wrote a couple books about human Health. I mean, this guy was really brilliant. He, yeah, yes, he and was. a whole bunch of his, his ungulates, um, like deer and and bighorn sheep writings. When you read them now, I think how brilliant he was, how far ahead of himself he was, and I can't believe that that he was so insightful. And then there's a, a lot of other things that I read that he's a friend of mine just theories it's just stuff that he's thrown out and this fits fits in that latter category is that what it it, is just somebody
0: he's just always thinking a
1: friend of mine called him a theory monger he's always cranking theories and theories but the neat thing about him science but he would have like a theory about something and then some graduate student would do a phd and research that intensively and they would come out at the end and find out he was wrong and val would say that was a wonderful theory that was a wonderful study that was a wonderful study. Those results are fantastic. They he proved me wrong. He didn't have ego with it, right? No, he, he did just not. was like, no. I, he did not. Yeah. He threw disproved it. theories out, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, well, a theory a day. And then when someone disproved it, he thought that was wonderful that someone spent the time
0: to... Look into it. Okay, I'm just curious yeah. because yeah. I don't want to shoot the little bucks. I want to go after yeah. the big bucks. So that makes me feel better. I can that, I can pursue the big one bucks. of those
1: things that you think about it. You <laughs> go, huh?
3: That kind of makes sense. But it's just it's just him thinking,
0: All right, thinking so on, out
3: loud. So on that note, I was sitting next to a Dallas Fire Club. I was sitting. I was getting these conversations at like 10:30 at night, right? I don't know why. I'm apparently asked the right questions after about two or three bourbons. But I was sitting next to these two biologists from Texas and. They are, and I can't remember their names. You probably know them. Probably. They, they were talking about deer, CWD, and one of the things that he told me, which blew me away, and I have, I have zero proof of this other than he told me, is that the majority of deer that actually impregnate a doe are younger bucks. Mm. Yeah, no, not really true, but what, but
1: where that's coming from is, and it was Randy DeYoung did some work in South Texas on whitetail deer, and he found that 30% of the fawns were sired by one- and two-year-olds. Hmm. So not a majority, but but 30% that's is huge, surprising. That's, that's, that's a lot yeah, more than you So 30% that, is really surprising, like, wow.
0: Well, remember, he, I emailed you about a year ago on that topic asking uh, regarding what, hmm. lo- you know, some of these, if, if. And that was more selfish on my side, on my whitetail. I I have property that I like to hunt whitetail on. We get some big ones on there. But I was only seeing like one or two big bucks. And I was Mm -hmm. worried that the does wouldn't get bred if we killed those two bucks. But not the case. He
1: also, in that same study, because they they took samples from the fawns and they looked genetically at who was the father, but they also found something like 25% of the pairs of fawns, twin fawns, about 25% had different fathers. So if really you look at these pairs of fawns, really? about 25% had different fathers. So they, so these does get bred by a couple huh. bucks. A young buck will sneak in and breed, and a big buck will breed well, it. That's yeah. what
3: he, he he said. Think about it. When you were in high school, you were way more potent than yeah. you are now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and okay. sneaky and sneaky and quick and crafty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So that that kind of ties into the the conversation you and I had at Ike at one point where we we talked about how the term trophy hunting has been hijacked by like the anti hunting community as poaching as, as poaching or, or just saying, you know, they throw out terms like, like trophy hunting as if the goal of all hunters is to go out and just shoot a, shoot the biggest thing they could find just to Mm -hmm. take those antlers home and show off to their buddies. But, but really the reality is, is there is a conservation aspect to what real trophy hunting is, which is we are pursuing the most mature mountain or I'm sorry, animal on the mountain, Uh, and, and, and the term trophy hunting as, as it's portrayed by the anti-hunting community these folks that say, well, yeah, you know, the the Washington is famous for this. These anti hunters in Washington. Oh, these trophy hunters are out there spring bear hunting all the time. They're just trophy hunters.
1: Or trophy it, bobcat it, hunting it, that trophy, came up in Arizona
0: yeah, one time. Yeah, and it's going on in Colorado right now with mm-hmm. the mountain lion hunt band. And you know, people don't even realize that mountain lion hunt meat is pretty dang good.
2: Oh, it's yeah. excellent. It's yeah. excellent yeah. meat.
0: It's some of the best. So is bear meat. It is. I, black bear meat is. Well, black bears are some of my favorite things to hunt.
2: But and and. They're not they're not articulating that it is illegal to leave the meat. For right, most yeah. things, I, I don't have the information for I think all it's states, every, I think it's every state because I looked into that one. Everything time. Yeah. except wolves. Maybe wolves, coyotes, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. But but trophy hunting gets this Nobody aura around them. it that as if as if you kill a two hundred inch mule deer buck and don't take the meat home. Number one, it's not illegal it's not legal. And number two, it's damn good meat. Well, and and you're filling your freezer, and, so and you say, Not that legal. gets lost.
3: I'm, I want I want people to understand. It is in Wyoming. I'm gonna speak Wyoming. You guys would know better in the other states. In Wyoming, it is a larger crime, larger fine, etc. If you get caught wanton waste, which is what you're talking about, yep. cutting the head off, Wanted leaving the meat, then if you go in out of season and kill a mature deer and put him, you know. Take the meat and put yeah. him a, without a yeah. tag. It yeah. is a bigger crime to leave that deer in the field. N- unused.
0: Not yeah. only that, but it's perceived by fellow hunters oh, as a bigger crime. Yeah. Like that you you are one like him. let's say deer season ends on November thirty, but some big bu- buck walks out on December one and somebody shoots him versus the guy that two weeks ago shot a buck and left it wanting ways full buck. The, he's gonna be viewed by the hunting community as worse than yes, the individual hmm. that harvested everything out of that deer on December first. Yeah. Not that I'm promoting doing that. I just you know, just yeah. as an example, but right. but that that theory the 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 trophy hunt you know it comes out of this this uh Bambi generation that 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 saw this movie as kids where they're out there just shooting deer and leaving them kind of thing and they're they're portraying all hunters as that's that's what hunting season is my son other has
1: a phd in wildlife and he's never seen Bambi to my knowledge we would <laughs> let him see really?
2: good for Well you. the other thing I've had to correct a few people or at least educate them on Africa trophy hunting yes mm-hmm. and some people just don't know it's illegal to bring the meat back Mm, you yeah. just—I'm serious. I—I. Yeah. I, mm. But and that that's the kind of stuff does that doesn't cross used. your mind. Absolutely, it, get, it gets it, used. Nothing gets wasted. And in ever. fact, um, uh, yeah, no, it 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 supplements yeah. a protein source for some communities that that would otherwise be poaching. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody fun. they're going to eat yeah. something. Yeah.
3: poaching, yeah. aka, AKA yeah. killing animals without without because they're like starving. Illegally.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Because they're starving. Yeah. So mm. the hunting dollars that go into some of these remote communities, and I've heard the arguments. Well. You know, you could have photo safaris and that got Not everywhere. No. Not right. everywhere. So you need it all, yeah. right? And so I, it, it stunned me to realize that some people just don't think, don't understand you can't bring the meat back legally. Yeah. That's U.S. law. Yeah. So that's why they bring the heads and the hides back. Yeah. yeah. As a memory of what they
3: did. A customs border agent go yeah. through the roof. Try and bring meat through L.A. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. Even if it's <laughs> the other- Axis deer, they throw a fit. And that wow. could be from
3: Hawaii.
2: Yeah. Huh. And if I can throw one more thing in on the trophy thing, this yeah. is my perspective, but it everybody thinks about this a little bit differently. And I try to educate my students or people that, you know, when I'm discussing some of their essays or something like that, trophy is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. When my wife took her first Wyoming doe antelope. Mm-hmm. First thing she ever shot, I can tell you that brought me more joy and it felt more like a trophy moment to me personally than the day I shot a 180 inch mule deer yep. or however big he was. I never yeah. got him scored, but it was big damn deer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I hunted and to that end, I hunted for that big deer right up to the end, but I'd have killed a fork and horn just as fast because I was a poor, poor grad student. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it's all in the eye of the beholder on what constitutes trophy. So it's been blown a little out of proportion and misused but it depends on who, who you're talking to yeah so let me ask you this
3: is it is it safe to say because i've been saying this probably lying is it safe to say that in order to manage the herd health you have to shoot the mature males in order to manage mature or uh herd size you have to you have to take females i wouldn't say that i wouldn't
1: say that you there's like there's a there's a heavy justification for having to remove larger males I mean, there isn't one there was. A- I don't think so. No, I don't think there's I don't think there, there's scientific support for saying you have to remove the large males or something unhealthy or bad will happen to the population. I mean, the natural right. populations had a lot of mature males in there and it's just kind of the way it is.
2: Yeah, it's more complicated.
1: Yes, yeah. that's, that's in a I, nutshell, it that's depends. Is that what you're it, it saying? to the biologist, yeah,
2: and what that's what guys, everybody hates about biologists. Is we always say it depends, but it, it but it, it, does. it
0: does, it does, and it, it's it, that's what I I like about talking to guys like you because I, I'm sure I know you're on social media. Yeah, you're on social media, aren't you? Uh, okay, no. I I'm I, I don't know, so I'm asking, but I, I'm curious when you guys you guys have been doing this a long time. What what is like? Is, is there a pattern? that you see that that hunters, specifically the hunting community, argue about, fight about when it comes to actual wildlife bi- biology, and you see this constant theme of, like, just wrongness, right? Like, I've always, like, uh, that that timber wolf example I gave you earlier. Oh, they they had the timber wolves here before. They, they're not this kind of wolf. Is there something larger scale that drives you guys crazy as, like, a pet peeve that you see people post or, or <laughs> say or yeah. opine on social media? I don't,
1: you got an example of that because it just seems like there's a lot it, of that out there.
2: Well, I, a lot I of different yeah, yeah. I, um, I like, try not like, to engage. Oh, on you got to only shoot, yeah. you've got to only shoot I, three
0: points or better, or you've only yeah. got to shoot, yeah. you know, such,
1: it, you know, it, yeah. And one thing is, I don't it, post. Social media for me is the place where I go to get away from the controversies of my job. You know, just look at man, fun that's stuff, post an experience, look at yeah, a, man, a squirrel with yeah, a cigarette yeah. or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Um, so Picture I, Ed and Jim, I don't. You know, at a I'm, I'm not going to work 11 hours a day and then sit on my phone and continue controversial wildlife stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I do that to have fun. So because of that, my engagement on social media isn't isn't that kind of thing.
0: Hold on, there's a there's an announcement.
2: Editor, editor, pick this up. We have a
3: great regard. next to how we have a raise of love.
2: Well, at least we know where we're getting lunch. Yeah, right. Or a green, if you a visa. Or a green, if you can come around 50 days, <laughs> you would have a good idea.
0: But hopefully Luke can uh, sit down and cut that out, right? Slice that out. Huh? <laughs> Slice that <laughs> out. Uh, obviously, recording yeah, at the expo, out, we're going to have some background noise, right? <laughs> yep. So is there a, uh, I, you weren't done.
1: Yeah, I, I would just say, and I, when I my engagement in social media is is not so much controversial wildlife stuff because that's what I do for a living. Other people that that go and they're they're a plumber all day, they might want
2: to come home and engage in controversial wildlife stuff. Yeah. I don't
1: because I, cause I, <laughs> I don't either. That. Well, that's a, that's a great point. Down. I think that that's that. what happens.
2: Yeah. I I think Jim and I are on the same page on that one. We post, we may post hunting pictures, and you know, your father's still alive. You hunt with yep. your father and sons. That's a special moment. You know, I'll post some stuff on my, on my right. hunts or even my kills. Um, but I don't, I don't get into it. I, um, it's dangerous turf. Yeah. It's just dangerous. Yeah. Cause it's never ending. Right. If I want to yep. argue with somebody who just is blatantly wrong, I'm never going to end. Cause I'm yep. speaking into hyperspace, well, you know, and, 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 and people have so much more courage when they're sitting.
3: They do. My dad calls them basement, uh, basement dwellers they have so much more courage when they're hid behind them keyboard Keyboard, Keyboard commandos charles barkley i heard him oh my gosh this guy from we're on this event and he said it perfect he goes those are just
0: monkeys throwing poop that's
1: (laughs) That's what they are exactly it really is i mean it's
0: it's, this we've talked about that on on my show all the time it's like you know the, the problem is, is there's not the consequence of, uh, of getting punched in the mouth. So people feel like they could say yeah. and behave how they want where they wouldn't in a public setting. Like somebody at the expo, all these people here, I, I guarantee you almost everybody here is is guilty, including me, of being negative to somebody else on social media. Yeah. But they're not going to do that here. Yeah. All no. these people they're here that you see walking face. around, yep. you know. Yep. That, I'll and bet you somebody out the, there has talked smack about one of my podcast episodes. Oh, but yeah. They won't say right it to near, me. Here. Not to your face. You yeah. know, and I yep. actually I wish they would. I'd like, you know, that we that's how talk we about get better. Then. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ed mentioned looks, my dad, and we and we talked about trophy hunts. This past year we were on a milder hunt south of Tucson. My dad glassing off one side of the hill. I was about thirty yards away, glassing off the other side of the hill, and he called me over. He turned 90 in June. He called me over and he said there's three deer over on that hill over there, and I know one of them's a buck. And I he. I find them in my binoculars. He found them. I find them in my binoculars. There's two young bucks in a doe and they're 300 yards away. So I get him set up on the bipod, get his elbow blocked up. He gets a buck in the scope and I'm talking him through, telling him, you know, the doe is on the right and Mm -hmm. that thing, make sure he's on the right deer. And he he shoots once and the deer jumps up, the rocks explode behind it and the deer stands there and and he missed it. Obviously missed it, and then I remembered I forgot to tell him at three hundred yards you got to aim six inches high. Oh, I forgot to tell him that. So he, so I told him that. So he lines it up, aims six inches high, pulls the trigger again, the deer goes right down. And when I went over there, the deer not only was drilled right through the rib cage, but it had a crease on its brisket six inches below. <laughs> oh, exactly.
2: exactly six inches. So
1: two shots, and he was right on, wow. and he nailed that buck. 90 years old. That's fantastic. They shot a javelina last yeah. year at 89 and we're going javelina hunting in a week. Next week. Gosh, we're so going javelina fun.
2: hunting. Oh, good for him. I've enjoyed that because I get to, Jim and I are Facebook friends and I enjoy watching those kind of yep. stories. Yeah. I will say That's that, and not everybody's going to agree with what I'm about to say, but and I have no problem with people doing the gripping and grands and posting, but there are some things that are a little rough for us to defend in the I hunting community 100% and agree it's not there's... helping yeah mm-hmm. it's not and, helping. and how
0: do we identify so. where the line is it's a great but, question you know because yeah. that's that's it's... one of the things we've i've talked about too there, there, like some people like why post it if it looks like a bloodbath like, like no like come on guys, guys we yeah. can and but but who am i to say exactly. i'm not the police the the instagram police or whatever but i think there needs to be like the fishing community has, does a really good job at kind of self-policing what's what's good publicity versus what's bad. And, and uh-huh. hunters, we don't. All we do is get mad at each other. People right. you know? that
1: I know, I'll call them out with a real bloody picture. Mm-hmm. Not, not in public, but I'll send them a message and say, you got to post better pictures than that, yep. like my nephew did. Um, so I'll, if there are people I know, I call them out. I'm not going to sit on social media and call everybody out. Yeah. I agree.
3: So, yeah. I said, self, if we can do self-control and self-policing mm-hmm. and don't be mean to the guy, right. maybe right. he didn't realize right. it, it was bloody. Him. Maybe yeah. he didn't understand. He, educate did, he him, didn't go, get hey, the
2: context. Dude, exactly. My
3: yep. kids don't want to see that.
1: Right. Yep. No. And I, and that happened in the case of my nephew. He said, "Really? Why?" And I and we started talking about it, and uh, he said, "Oh, yeah, I can kind of see what you mean." So if you're nice
3: about it, a little you hard can... to do on a you know dull sheep, but no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, it's like goats.
0: like I said, the the fishing community, you know, there's uh, I'm not even going to give any specifics, but there's a there's a river. It has a very specific fish that comes out of a very specific lake that I I fish. And I just wanted to catch one of these fish. And I did. And I posted a picture of this fish. Yeah, And I had like 10 people, uh, private message, whatever they call that. Uh, and, And they were all very nice about it. They said, hey, we don't post pictures of that fish because we want to keep this a secret. Could you mind taking that off? I took it down.
2: Wow. If that would have been a hunter,
0: they would have called me every name under the book. I would yeah. have had to go to yeah, church maybe. to get over right. it. And and so it's it's like uh that's what we kind of need to develop, I think, in the hunting community. You know, hunters are emotional people. I'm an emotional guy. I get I get pretty worked up over stuff. And and I'd love to identify how we do that like the fishermen do and with tact. Uh, uh, with you tact. Do everything with- and and have uh-huh. the person that's that we're great talking way to, put to it. not tact not come back in some overly defensive way mm-hmm. because that's how their grandpa did it. Well, well, grandpa did it before there was, you know, Facebook and Instagram, well, right? Yeah. And so, it gets
2: back to that big picture we were talking about earlier. The big picture is hunting is in jeopardy. Yeah. It is. Right oh, now. Absolutely. And we need to be doing everything we possibly can to preserve hunting. You're not going to find a dire hard hunter. Dire hard? A harder, <laughs> die more hard. die hard hunter, <laughs> yeah. Um, At least unlike the than only me. one gets I mean, I just with... finished my 51st year hunting. Assuming I don't go goose hunting here in the next couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. my point is we, we've we got to be cognizant that the world is watching yes. and we're not helping ourselves. Yes. There are simple things yes. we can do to maintain that heritage, celebrate it without offending the world. And this pry it from my cold dead fingers, I'm never coming out, I'm never giving anything up is not going to work forever. No. Well,
0: and this is me, this is hunting, screw who gets offended by it. What right. the thing yeah. that we have it's to not, understand not is it's not other hunters we're worried about. It's it's Aunt Betty. It's the, it's, the 60, That's exactly it's that sixty percent right. I was talking about in the
3: middle yeah. of that yep. graph. Yep.
2: Exactly. It's soccer yeah. mom. It's the and soccer they, mom. And a lot of yeah. them, what is it, seventy percent, Jim, I think, of people still when you ask the right question, seventy seven to eighty one percent still, still support hunting. Support legal ethical, it's when though. you start Carving it down into using words like trophy or predator, that kind of, yep, that's where it that starts, starts getting a little grayer it. and dicier. It's like
0: my my mom was visiting uh, us up in Montana over Christmas, and we went out to a restaurant, and on the way home, there was a whitetail buck that had been hit, and his rear end was just shattered, but it, did, it wasn't dead, and I don't know who hit it and where they went, but they left it there. Another car pulls up behind me. They had a gun handy, and my my mom, who has been around this hunting thing her whole life, has never seen this take place. But a bullet was put in the back of that deer's head. That's pretty violent and up close. And and, you and, know. and and yeah. when mm-hmm. I got back to me, I've I've seen I've been around this my whole life. But when I got back in the truck, and and her reaction, and my wife even, who's around this stuff, they mm-hmm. don't see that kind of stuff. Yeah. They don't see. The, the violence that hunting is sometimes the, the act of it. And, and so it's not like, I guess one way to put it, like, I feel like my mom was like, uh, what's that word? Almost PTSD uh, Uh overseeing this deer uh, get put out of its misery, even though she knew that was the right thing. We don't, they, people that don't hunt, they don't want to see that. They don't want to see the blood and the, the, the carnage that, let's face it, hunting can be, uh, very violent, very graphic, very, very primal, very, f- very primal, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and and some people just don't have the stomach for it. And that I think if we if we uh, have this mentality that screw it, this is who we are and this is what we're going to do, no,
2: uh,
0: that we're going to have a lot of bad negative press that that is going to put the future of hunting in it, jeopardy it, more so, so.
2: And it makes Gemini's job harder. Him as yeah. a state agency yeah. biologist is uh, you know working in the NGO community over you know a wide range of wildlifers. I mean, they're not all sportsmen, and no. but they should understand the basics and foundation of wildlife management, and I would hope appreciate sustainable use. But not all of them do. The it's worst, just a different world. And first and couple times you watch an animal die, it's, emotional. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it's emotional. Yep. I mean, emotional. Yeah, it's emotional. I mean, it's still emotional for me. Yeah,
0: it's emotional. I have a I have a physical reaction when I do it and and uh i've noticed it's gotten worse the older i get too when i was in my 20s i didn't care me too but i i i I, I, I can relate i think that's pretty
1: common i I, I think i was not as sensitive enough to that with my four boys as i should have been and my niece i started her hunting yeah and i i think i was just like i grew up i didn't even grow up hunting until eighth grade but i don't know i was just immune to it and i didn't I, i think i didn't pay that much attention to how it looked to them yeah, and I think if you've got kids, I think you should pay attention to that and be aware that it's going to be emotional it's going to be kind of shocking.
2: Absolutely. It's funny. Yeah. My grandpa taught me this ethics-wise. This kind of gets into the ethics and who your mentor was. But I shot a rabbit one time after I'd started hunting, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't kill it. And I just kind of stood there, and he goes, get the hell over there and dispatch that animal right now. So he, he taught me the ethics of mm-hmm. – Quick clean, and if you and everybody makes a mistake, everybody misses. Yeah, but you might you might cripple one, and as fast as you can possibly, yeah, dispatch animal animal welfare We're, yeah, we care about animal welfare, and we don't want, yeah, exactly.
0: And I think you know, your grandpa teaching you that, I think we have to keep in mind too, there's a lot of folks that just got into hunting as adults, they didn't have the influence of dad or grandpa that to, uh, to make help them understand and also help them understand what some of these negative, uh, uh, scenes that we can create for lack of I'm kind of yeah. drawing a blank on the <laughs> yeah. verbiage there, but uh, you know, my grandpa he was not big on you know back in the day putting a a, a buck up on the top of a station wagon or you know hanging the head over the side. I thought as at, at a, as a kid I thought that's what we needed to do yeah, and go drive definitely. Main Street right, yeah. but but grandpa knew that there that that could you know put the wrong taste in somebody's mouth. Yeah, and so. Anyways. So, well, what do you think,
3: Ike? I think that is a wonderful conversation. I appreciate you guys taking the time uh, absolutely. down here in Salt Lake. And uh appreciate you taking the time and, and being honest and candid and informing not mm-hmm. I mean not just the audience. I I learned a lot. Me too.
1: Yeah.
0: I always do yeah. with you guys. You it know, was a good it was
1: a good conversation. We talked about social media and I'm on Instagram uh at Servidnut, C E R V I D N U T. A servid it- is a member of the deer family.
0: Your old so. Instagram got suddenly taken down, really. It was, and, yeah. And I, I used to then... have
1: a different Instagram and it got yeah. shut down and and I think what we've finally determined is that I was using a John Deere logo. It was Jim Deere and I was using a John Deere mm-hmm. logo and I photoshopped it <laughs> to be a mule deer to be a mule deer instead of a whitetail. <laughs> And someone who knows someone who works in meta looked into it and they said they can't tell why it was just, it was, it was just a truncate. I mean, they just shut it down. Yeah. They said, anything. we can't tell why it was, but it came out of the branch that deals with trademarks. Yeah, ah, I think
3: that's what it was. That March makes a lot stuff. of sense yep. because but I like, thought it was all the naked photos of you. Yeah, right, right. Yep, yep. That's why I don't <laughs> yeah, do that a little anymore. Little promiscuous, huh? <laughs> yeah. Now I know why Ed follows it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so,
0: so yep. at Nut, that'll be in yep. my show notes. Uh, I, I I assume you put all that stuff in yours. too, yep, you like? Absolutely. I, yeah, yep. The,
3: all the show notes, and we'll we'll links. We've talked about a couple videos and some links to you guys' forty five uh, one sheets. And yeah, the, we'll the fact sheets. Yeah. Absolutely, look that up because I think yeah. it's really important to. have have that information when you know talking to aunt betty or your crazy ass sister-in-law
2: we've got a lot of good stuff on the wildlife society website it's open to the public um if you join you get a membership you get behind the firewall and get access to our journals and such but but we've got a lot of good information on on just the profession and lots of things happening wildlife it's not all deer and elk there's Mm-hmm. Creepy crawlies, birds, bats, rats, the works, like but that's in frogs It's wildlife. Yep.
0: And do you have a, yeah. do you have an Instagram as well?
2: I don't. You I'm don't. not as uh, active on social media as Jim is. I'm on yeah. Facebook. But, but we uh,
0: won't hold it against you. I just want to make sure. <laughs> I, you know, usually I feel I, like I feel, half, I feel right. half naked here. Usually when I'm recording, I have a little notebook. I'm taking notes and so on. I'm going to have to remember what mm-hmm. I'm putting in the... You didn't know you were hosting until the microphone was I on. didn't. Hey, yeah, I right. likes you phone. called the in cold here. there. I did on purpose because
2: I knew it
3: was going to be a really good conversation.
0: <laughs> it is good. I, I, could, I could keep this going for a long time, actually. I, I could pick your guys' brain yeah, endlessly. Hey, I, and, I appreciate what you
2: guys do yourselves because... You know, Jim and I are but two voices, but this is a cascading effect and a movement yes, we really absolutely. need to get rolling because mm-hmm. everybody needs to. Everybody's got a target audience. Yeah, you have one. You have one. We have our different audiences, and we need to we need to spread the word widely. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. And
3: actually, uh, Jim doesn't know Huntsman doesn't know this, but I have a couple gifts for you for coming on. What? I know, right? So I have. <laughs> I got into silver recently. Yeah. silver coins. I was hoping you it was a... me one with. of the
2: member elk hunts down oh. in Colorado. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. So
3: I gave you, I'll give you guys a couple of silver coins. They're just cool, you so Little things. Oh, I dropped. I saw you play with that,
1: but I thought it was a bottle cap or something. I don't, I don't know what thinking. that was.
3: it's a oh. silver coin. It's uh, yeah, look at that. one troy ounce. Silver's got big old elk Sweet. on it, and yeah, yeah podcast. It's a podcast, yeah, and then ReadyWise, which is uh, a hunting-friendly dry food uh, company, It's right over here, booths right behind us. They gave you both a uh, little
0: gift, and so if you get hungry at night, you can. That Eat. sounds awesome. Thanks. Sweet.
3: Eat some Heck stuff. Yeah. So cool. Appreciate you guys coming on. That really it was awesome. great.
0: Yeah, thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. Good to be here. Now, cool. how do we stop the recording? That's it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <That's> it. Yeah. <laughs>